Okay, guys, we are live with uh, Cadell Last and Owen Cox. And uh, the point of today's conversation is to talk a little bit about uh, a course that Owen and Cadell are, are, are creating called The Art of Being a Man. And I just want to kick it off by asking uh, Owen, what is this course? What is The Art of Being a Man? Hmm. Well, I've been involved in men's work or associated work for probably three years, coming up to three years or so. Um, kind of originally through actually doing 12 step work, but in groups that were entirely male, like it wasn't explicitly men's work, but it was men getting together to talk about um, their struggles in life, essentially, and trying to create a community to doing better with it. Um, and then Cadell and I met a bit over a year ago, I think, perhaps a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit under that. And he wound up coming to a, an actual explicit men's group that I was running in London at the time. And that was where I think we got to know each other fairly well and also kind of laid the groundwork for our future collaborations. I think the actual kind of, the depth of the art of being a man comes out of, on the one hand, this sense of a lot of the men's work I think I've encountered has felt a little bit superficial or not investigating certain problems with the, the degree of depth that I would have been interested in going into them. So Typically, the way that comes across is like support groups, but with a real um, focus on trying to create goals and achieve things in the world, supporting each other to manifest or create whatever it is that you're trying to build. And if there are struggles in your life, you acknowledge them. Maybe you talk about them a little bit, but then you move on to what really matters, which is your mission or your purpose, which is fine. It vibes with a lot of guys. But I, for various reasons, largely to do with my own actually kind of like personal <laughs> nature of struggling quite deeply with questions and problems of desire, my own sexuality, I've wanted spaces where I could really go deep into them, not with a kind of ulterior motive of getting that out the way so as to move on to something else, but actually really just spending time and trying to understand that. So as I said, that's kind of one hand is trying to create a men's work space to investigate perhaps the kind of fundamental existential questions and drives that make up the male psyche. Then the other hand of that is that I think one of the things that happened in the men's group that Kidal and I were doing in London is that we began to stray towards this territory, but in quite a free associative way. Like we just open up the group and say, okay, maybe let's try and talk about this today and riff around. And it worked for a while. But then as we started to get into the more uncomfortable areas of male experience of the psyche, particularly to do with sexuality and how it's framed today in the context of social relationships, um, people's marriages, their sexual relationships and so on, it became very uncomfortable. And a lot of the guys were kind of upset challenged i got the sense there was a feeling of being violated like some kind of implicit agreement that it was going to be a, sh a safe space 
was kind of destroyed. Um, a space where people felt like it, they could come and talk about stuff and get it off their chest all of a sudden became a space where it went like kind of peeled a layer too deep into the unconscious. And then it was incredibly painful. And the group itself kind of ultimately fell apart. Um, and I think largely to do with this kind of thing, that box that got opened there. So with the art of being a man, the idea is to be very explicit from the start and kind of clear in terms of the container of, this session we are going to look at um say depression and the feeling of there not being uh, there being something missing or this session we're going to look explicitly at adult eroticism and so we kind of know from the get-go what, what we're going into it gives the psyche and the unconscious a bit more of a chance to relax and feel like okay this is what's going to happen and hopefully thus we can kind of slightly more skillfully curate and facilitate a space for exploring these deep, sometimes uncomfortable areas of the psyche without it feeling a shock or unexpected or uncomfortable or a violation or anything like that. Um, that's probably a, a, an introduction there. Um, Cadell, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, well, just building on what Owen says, that there's a way in which there's a there's a way in which I came to men's work when I was tired of covering over lack like there's a way I came to men's work where I was tired of I don't know pretending that I had um, a positive solution or that I knew or that I was going to win, let's say. And I basically started going into lack, into that I don't know, that I... I'm basically I'm I'm basically struggling. And I think that there's there's a way in which most of probably male identity is biased in this direction. There's a lot of male identity that is is simply a cover over this reality. So like Owen was saying, I think when we both were in the same men's circle together, I think the idea of going fundamentally into desire, the idea of going fundamentally into our deepest existential problems without putting a cover over it is something that can really challenge identity and can provoke a lot of defensive reactions. Um, you can get a lot of, of resistances and, and that's fair enough um, because you're really playing with the images that people use to survive and, and bear their existence. And, and those, those images have, a, have an important function. Um, at the same time, at least for the types of questions I'm interested in, in exploring, um, those images can sometimes be a, 
a defense against really understanding yourself and also the higher potentials of your nature. So, and I would say becoming more aware and taking more ownership of the images you create and the images that are structuring your being. So for me, that's what the art of being a man is about is, is not just about the image that you use to bear existence, but also the very process by which you create those images, which I think is inherently, which I think inherently has a dark dimension because it involves going into lack. So this course is really about the process of becoming an artful being. And I think that that spaces like that are, are rare. I think spaces like that are, are extremely rare because people always want the finished polished product. People always want the man that is put together and looks like a million bucks and looks like they have their act together but they don't want to go through the mud and the muck of the, the how someone becomes that way. Or, or on the other hand, you can have a lot of men who look like a finished product, but actually they got there in a process that involved a lot of repression. And there's a lot of sort of, let's say hidden darkness. So this process that we're, we're trying to cultivate and guide in some sense is a process that, that is, wants to create a space of accepting the darkness, looking at the difficult things, not to stay in like a doom mentality or not to stay in like a nihilistic mentality but rather to accept the, the parts of us that can be really the core of our motivation and the core of our, our, our you know, most intimate self. And, and from there, um, yeah, just to reiterate, create a more artful way of being. So that's why we called it the, the, art, the art of being a man. Maybe you it's worth saying a little bit more about this notion of an artful way of being. Um, because I think as we've kind of touched on, the plan for the sessions will be to go into different areas of the psyche that are either often repressed or forgotten or ignored. So we'll have the first session, which is going to be about infantile drives, pleasure and prohibition relating to what Freud was calling the oral, the anal and the genital drives. The second session on adult eroticism, the third session on depression, melancholia, the fourth on power and how we kind of crave it or run away from it and so on. But this element of being artful with it. I think there's something which the artist does, certainly that I find through my own experience as when I write or when I play music, for example, it's like whatever is present, whether it's joy or pain or emptiness, kind of informs the thing that I write or the thing that I, I play. 
So rather than that being a sense of, right, I'm Owen, I'm sitting right down and I have a goal to achieve X and X is going to look like this when it's done. It's more like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to play my guitar or I'm going to write for the next hour or two. And maybe with a sense of doing something, working on this project, but actually whatever that predominant drive or feeling is there at the moment will shape whatever comes out of it. And the thing that takes form from this process is not going to be anything that can be predicted beforehand, but there is an element of truth to it. And I can recognize from myself that sometimes I've sat down and tried to write something or tried to write a song from more of an idea in my head of, oh, I should write something about this rather than it coming from um, a process that's kind of speaking from my unconscious or my body or wherever I feel like my being is deeply located in that moment. And it always feels a little bit hollow, a little bit dry. And my opinion, to be honest, about a lot of the, the programs, the coaching programs, the teaching programs, the spiritual stuff that exists at the moment, is it comes from the layer of, as Kadal was saying, these images in the head, these ideas about what we think we want to be like or what we think we should do. And it's like, okay, you can say in your head, you can form an image in your head, this is what I want to make happen. Let's then provide the structure, some practices for you to get there, which is kind of, it's like starting with the end product in mind rather than working with what is actually going on in the present. And the the notion of being artful, being the art of being a man, being artfully, is working precisely with the raw material of whatever is happening today. Like for me today, I'm moving house at the moment. I'm feeling pretty kind of overwhelmed and depressed about it. And so that's kind of going to color the way I'm speaking, the way I'm thinking. Mm, I, I, I really loved to, to hear what you guys had to say. It's, it's impressive how, how it fucking cheers me up as well. Uh, one of the things that, that came up for me as a question is, as you look into your lack and as you, yeah, not, not cover it over and perhaps try to understand a little bit better as a, as a, as a part of who you are and how you unfold, um, does this mean that each birth, that there is a prescribed way for one to be artfully a man? In other words, uh, having stayed with one's lack, what tends to be the next step? Or what, what would you say that the next step is always, okay, I'm more peaceful, I'm more with myself, I accept myself more? Or would you say that there's a renewed energy, impetus, uh, movement, momentum, something more uh, upward going? So what would you say is the result of the art of being a man? Or is there no answer and it, 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 it's up to each of us to, to, to answer this question. I, I would, I would say it's not a next step. It's a step before. So it's, it's before you take a step. So, so what does that mean? So what I mean by that is when I was 18, I had an idea in my head that I wanted to get a PhD. 
And that idea structured a decade of my action as like a meta transcendental notion. So it's not like having a goal or an end has no value or has no meaning because coming up with that idea and sort of living and according with it did end up helping me a great deal because I, I, I sort of filled that idea out, let's say. But in the process of doing that, I lost connection with myself. So it's like you can set up a goal structure, you can set up a next step, and then you can all too easily get lost into that goal structure and you can lose touch with, with really what you are in the first place. So what the art of being a man is really about, at least for me, is working with, like Owen says, the raw material of whatever is happening in the present moment of your being and using that raw material, using that messiness, using all those raw emotions, using all those chaotic signifiers that are flying around in your head and, and sort of really trusting that engaging with whatever that is is going to lead to the truest form of creation. It's, 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 it's really, and, and that in some sense does prevent you from coming up with an end goal that's too far away from your present being. It doesn't mean that those end goals can't serve some purpose, but they should always be in a dynamic relationship with whatever's going on right now. And it's all often that ability to look straight on uh, towards what is happening or lacking right now, that is often the capacity that's missing when people formulate goals. Isn't that so? So often we think we want this or we think we want that. Then we go and we struggle to do that. But when, when that is not anchored <clears throat> in a very present, real, muddy, here and now lack, then it just it just fails and it just doesn't work out so yeah i guess in my experience that's how i've always articulated that you need to hate something or you need to this is my personal experience you know to use your 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 emotions uh, as 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 the subject matter of whatever it is you're creating i i feel that's the interpretation that i that i gather um Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would say, yeah, and and I think that the reason why, I think the reason why that's difficult for a lot of for a lot of guys is because they don't want to feel vulnerable, or they struggle with painful emotions. Like if I'm fully, if I'm in a space where I can fully reveal my lack and where I'm struggling the most. And where I feel the most pain, I mean, I, I can already sense resistances inside my head. So like resistances come right away. So you, 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 one, you need to be the type of person that's willing to, I would say, fight against your own resistances. And I think that a lot of guys are 
externalizing a lot of their violence because they don't want to fight against their own resistances. And so you have to be the type of person that can fight against your own resistances, but you also have to have the space that can hold your struggle, that can hold your fight. And, and not a lot of those spaces exist. And so, so that like, that's, that's, I think, hopefully one of the, the reasons why we're, we're creating this, this space is, is one, we're looking for guys who, who are willing to be deeply self-reflexive, who are willing to sort of work with themselves as the, as the thing, you know, like, and, and, and that's in, to me, again, to frame it in, in my intellectual history, it's kind of the opposite of a university education in some sense, because you go to university, you study history, or you study philosophy, or you study mathematics, or you study physics, you're studying an abstraction outside of yourself. So, so this is kind of the opposite of that is that you're kind of studying yourself as, as an abstraction, there's signifiers inside of you. You know, it reminds me of this, that, or that you study abstractions outside of yourself. I think one of the, the dynamics that has been in place for the last few decades, maybe even the last couple of centuries, depending on how close to power you were, is this, we're trying to make a career which is kind of the question of what do you want to be when you grow up? But of course, when you're a kid, you haven't really got a fucking clue what you want to be when you grow up. You can see a bunch of adults with identities that you have signifiers for, and you can kind of look and go, well, that guy's a fireman or that guy's a lawyer or that guy's an astronaut. And maybe that would be cool, but it's rare to actually have the degree of insight into what, doing that on a day-to-day basis for multiple years, multiple decades, actually entails. So we kind of pull signifiers out of the air and answer these questions. And I, I get the feeling like in terms of deciding what to do with our lives, that's probably just the process that most people use today. What, what am I going to do now? I've got my degree. I mean, what am I going to study for a degree? I'm going to choose an abstraction based on what I seem to be good at in high school. I'm going to do that. Then you get the degree. What am I going to do? Oh, well, that seems cool. Well, that seems cool. You go for it without really thinking too deeply into your own being or how it matches up to that. I had the experience when I finished my studies and I was kind of lost for nine months trying to, uh, <laughs> to write a novel, got kicked out of my mom's house. It was pretty nasty ended up meeting the CEO of a startup company, blagging myself a job working with him. And all of a sudden, I was just engulfed in this idea of making this company the next million dollar company and how I was going to be rich. And I was like working long days, long hours on this project that literally like a month before I had no idea existed. And now I was totally identified with the thing. And I did that for a few months And then it flipped again. And I just was like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing going to this building every day. And just like being, again, grinding myself through it. And then I basically just had a burnout and a breakdown. (laughs) So I had the whole process accelerated within about six months of being totally identified with a goal that came from outside of me that I thought was going to be me. 
and then having that whole machine crumble and break and the wheels coming off. And it was, it was painful, but I think it was a good lesson to have into the trap of getting caught up too easily into an image of what to do. Whereas now I think I'm a lot slower and I try to catch myself if I'm constructing grand images or grand dreams or grand projects for the future and almost going to be like, okay, okay, that could be interesting. That's something to go into. But the real interesting question is just what is Owen like the raw material of Owen like day to day? I like to think, I like to read, I like to have conversations about philosophy. I like to play guitar. Okay. I need to make money. So I need to find a way to make money and hopefully use some of the things I like to do and slowly build a career that way. There's much less certainty to it. There's not a signifier on top of it. It's very difficult to explain what it is I do. But at the same time, there's a large degree of um, what feels like truth in it that wasn't there when I was in that startup. That's it. That's it. I love that description because there's not one signifier that can capture your truth. In some sense, the one signifier that captures your truth is kind of just the process of the becoming of your identity, like the process of Owen or the process of Cadell. It's kind of like the one signifier, but there's not like one signifier where you can say, you know, it's hard for me also sometimes to say, what is it that I do? I think like the description that Owen had of, you know, falling into a company and working endlessly on a project that previously he didn't care about. I think a lot of guys... I've seen a lot of guys who are in that situation, you know, if I, if I, if I, on the one hand, I've seen a lot of guys who are basically doing nothing. Like they're just like playing video games, smoking weed, jerking off, whatever. That's one category of guys. There's a whole other category of guys who are like overworking and they're like in a company they don't really care for. They're doing work that they're not really like, you know, they're not, it's not their truth, you know, like, so they become very split subjects. You know, and I and I think that I guess this this course is kind of in principle could speak to either of those two categories of men, you know, but in different ways, because on the one hand, the guy who's like really doing nothing is like not motivated is really like just, you know, like I said, like playing video games, smoking weed, jerking off, drinking with the guys, whatever, listening to music, whatever. Like that guy is maybe sort of connected to sort of like the raw, you know, emotions of, of his day-to-day life, but he doesn't really have any sort of day-to-day structure for that, that to organize himself. So I think that a course like a course that actually informs him and helps him reflect on his being and, and sees other guys who are reflecting on their being could be um, something that that's helpful. And then for the other, for the other type of guy who's like, just sort of like lost in a company that's so disconnected from his truth, I think is this, this type of course is basically like, you know, snap you back into sort of an awareness of, of what you are in a day-to-day sense. So I I think that it could work, work in both ways. Mm. I have a question. Do you think that there's a relationship between uh, one's ability to look into oneself and one's lack and then the ability to formulate a goal that one moves towards, because uh, this this came to mind while, while you were both speaking. Um, it could often be it could be the case that 
we don't yet know what might lie ahead in the road towards a goal, but without that requires also that we have a sort of very a good awareness of who we are inside and, and what our emotions and what our drives are. And, and sort of there's a continual relationship between the two, isn't there? Yeah. Because you need, you need to have these two poles kind of aligned. Otherwise it just doesn't sustain itself. I think you can't have a goal structure that's too connect disconnected from your being. And you also can't sort of be just in the chaos of your raw emotions without any goal structure. So like, like, you know, we know like, like what's at the source of your sense immediacy, let's say like what, it, you know, what you're just, your raw sensation is just like, it's just affect and feeling and like, you know, you know, basic raw emotions like hunger and, and, and horniness and, you know, and, and also violence and, and killing impulses. But so like, you do need some sort of higher order goal structure that is in some sense in line with a social normativity of some kind. But also you can't just have this goal structure that allows you to forget about what you are. So there's got to be some sort of relationship between the two, I think. I, I want to uh, throw in sort of an accelerator in here. Uh, does that goal have to be submitted to a social acceptability criteria? Or uh, are we not talking about sort of an immoral ethical ethics here? Like uh, Zizek usually uses the example of Stalin. To, as the example of a, a subject who acts ethically but immorally. Um, do you guys have a view on that? I well, know. I mean, yeah, go ahead, on. I guess the simple answer to that in terms of just the social normativity is like at the end of the day, we all got to make a living and hopefully have friends and have some pleasure and not wind up in jail or dead. Yeah. And so there's always going to be a large degree of compromising or negotiating or making agreements with whatever the social normativity standards are within which we're working. I guess that's the kind of basic answer to that. But then of course, there's also the element of rather than just copying and reproducing whatever the social norms are, because that's what's done being in such a conversation with the core of yourself that if it becomes necessary to break those norms in order to remain true to whatever you are also having the the strength and the it's not exactly the comfort to do that because it's not going to be a comfortable process i don't think but the ability to hold that discomfort yeah, I mean, I I don't think that you should I don't think that you should just act in accordance like blindly act in accordance with social normativity. I think there there's a pragmatic dimension to acting in accordance with social normativity and there's also the possibility that your ethical directive can change social normativity. So like your ethical directive could retroactively change what is seen as social normativity. And that's, that's, that's possible as well. Um, I, I think like on, like just on a common sense level, it's like, yeah, you're not just allowed to like act out your most primitive blind aggression 
on other people, obviously. Um, but you want to be in touch with that. Like my idea is you want to be in touch with that raw blind aggression. You want to know what it is. You want to see it. You want to be able to face it. You want to know that you're capable of that, but you also want to sort of cultivate it towards some sort of ethical drive that is, is not necessarily in line with social normativity. It could even go beyond social normativity and change social normativity. But at the same time, it's, it's not like a, yeah, you just go and like actively hurt or terrorize other people. I have another question to you guys. This, this is super, super interesting. Like, so when you, when you're, because you are going into subjects such as Freud and, and power and our desires, um, and you're doing this so that the men who go in have a better idea of the truth of their own desire because they are a little bit better informed about these, these ideas and by perhaps understanding their own, you know, where does my desire come from? Where may it come from? What, what, what framed it as is? What's, what are the layers beneath it that sort of constitute its truth? And so uh, my question to you guys is, in what way is this different than therapy? Because it is. Uh, but in what way, you know, it's a, because we're we're looking at this and it's it's in a group setting. Uh, there's sort of an exposition of content from you guys to, to the men. Then I assume that there's also a lot of talking happening. Uh, what, what are what are the big differences and the advantages that this has over, you know, just calling over your, your psychologist? I can I can take that as a starter, I guess. So. At least with traditional psychotherapy and with the sort of the origin of psychoanalysis, the reason you would go to therapy is because you're struggling with a psychological problem, which is making existence difficult. You're going into therapy because, yeah, you're struggling with a psychological problem that's making existence itself difficult. And, and I think that what we're trying to do sort of is not in itself therapy because you don't have to be in some sort of psychological distress necessarily to join the program. What we're trying to do is more go into the nature of the psyche in order to, in order to guide a mode of a mode of being it's, it has a, it has a telos. And that that telos is is art. So it, I I don't think therapy necessarily, at least traditional therapy, has a has a telos in that sense. It's just trying to deal with a certain either neurosis or hysteria or some sort of psychological existential crisis. Whereas I guess what we're doing is is we're taking an interest in the raw material of ourselves and and trying to turn an art project out of it. Mm, beautiful. And I think on a more just, what would you say, pragmatic level, I think what we're going to be doing is much more facilitated than, say, a therapy session where, I mean, certainly if it's in a kind of psychoanalytic mode, there's a lot of free association with the therapist or the analyst mirroring back and challenging or questioning on certain items of speech that comes out of the, the subject in there, which 
there will be free association, but the plan is also we're going to do a four-hour workshop on this topic. And within that, there will be certain questions that are asked by the facilitators, certain exercises that people are asked to move through. So it's more like a guided exploration than it is um, just free association. Right. I find it closer to a guild or a, or sort of a shared craftsmanship of oneself and one's exteriority. And it's closer to that than exactly to therapy as, as per what I hear is like, you're getting a bunch of men together. You're doing some work uh, that, that reflects itself, not only in the solving of internal problems, but rather you're focused on the <clears throat> understanding of internal problems so as to sort of align them with the externality of one's life. And then uh, the end product is not a solution, but a better problem. It's a better problem. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of a, a it's, it's a, a, a way it's an ethic of being the, the ethic, the ethic of being is, is to, instead of being in that sort of computational mindset state of like problem solution, where those problem solutions might be actually disconnected fundamentally from what is really at the intimate core of your day-to-day existence. It's more being with the intimate core of your day-to-day existence, which requires a sort of emotional intelligence to use the buzzword of, you know, you know, sort of saying, you know, I, I don't, I feel weak today or I feel vulnerable today or, or I feel, you know, however you're feeling, I just feel low today and, and not, not shielding that just allow learning how to allow that and to be with that and to, to live with that and to see the, those very negative affects as positive in a sense, because they're, they're, I mean, they're there it's important information about yourself that's not just there for no reason yeah and, and the converse of that is to uh, to see in your and the things that you really really want or really really crave why to ask the question why is that there and what's that, that actually hiding and what's the lack fueling that whole thing and to have that understanding yeah, yeah. so it's again instead of next step it's step before so like, for example, if you have like a pickup artist community, they're basically mobilizing guys' deepest desires and cravings without asking the question, why do you want that? Like, it's basically the pickup artist community is setting up a goal structure yeah. without going into the step before, without going into the lack itself. And, and if you go deep into the lack itself, it quickly becomes, you know, uh, an exploration of your most vulnerable, your most intimate emotions. And and to go to something you said a few minutes ago, Daniel, about setting goals. There's something to me, I always feel like to the degree to which I've gone into the the struggles, the challenges, the depths, I guess, of my my psyche. Not only have I discovered myself, but I've also discovered this historical moment. Hmm. And so, for example, 
my main challenge in my teenage years and my early 20s was to do with my sexuality and my relation to pornography, essentially digital sexuality, and me feeling that that made it impossible for me to lead an ordinary life. My The more I've gone into that problem and tried to find answers to that, I got into philosophy, I got into psychoanalysis, because that was the branch of philosophy that seemed to be thinking about sexuality. I then got into these, like, avant-garde philosophy networks exploring the interrelation of technology, society, sexuality. Like, in some sense, the work I do now has been very informed by the fact that I grew up as a man in the early 21st century struggling with desire in the context of the internet. And similarly, to kind of go another layer, the reasons I think why I developed a kind of a pathology around that was in large fact due to the breakdown of my family. And why did my family break down? Well, in part due to the, the ways that my parents were desiring their very individualistic career oriented life paths that meant made in some sense, they completely neglected family. I mean, some sense I don't think they, they even knew really what a family would look like in the late 20th century. And so again, one of the big questions that motivates me is what does family, what does love, what does community look like in the 21st century in the context of the internet precisely because that's what broke down in my life world. And so to go back to the sentence I started with, I think the degree to which I've gone into the real core of my being, I've actually discovered not myself, but history. And from there, it becomes possible to then go, okay, how do I want to engage with history? There's an analogy to the way that say like a great, book a great novel or a great movie it says something about the universal truth of a particular moment in history through the eyes of a single character we experience the social struggles the psychological struggles of a particular character and thus get a lens into how that entire moment of time constructs itself and in some sense the my thinking with the art of being a man is that we can all come to see ourselves as kind of characters in a novel or in a movie, in a sense. Our particular way of seeing, our particular way of desiring, our particular way of suffering isn't just an abstract in a void. It's conditioned by very real historical drives, dynamics. And, and tapping into that, then there begins to become a sense of, okay, given how history has created me, what can I do based on the problem that I've always been trying to solve anyway? A narrative that is a infinite jest, that is endless, that is very senseless in many ways, right? That's that's the postmodern moment as well. It's not really neat and straight. And to go back to how you started your your your, your sentences is like um, it's not so much about helping people. This is what I interpret. It's not so much about helping people get to goals, reach goals better, but rather to help them visualize the right, the clear goals, set them better goals, or understand how those goals connect to the truth of their, their own selves, but also how they relate to the overall historic moment, right? Like you say, like, do I, you know, pick up artists, do I really want to, you know, what do I want from this? It's, it's, it's the 
it's the beginning of the deep questioning that needs to take part in in the minds of, of, of every person. What kind of emotion is actually being fulfilled here? Am I just mimicking what I see on TV? Uh, that could be something, but then that's no, that's a goal that doesn't have any, any deep anchor within our, ourselves. And so th there's also the paradox here, right? Which is the deeper you go, it's counterintuitive. The deeper you go into questioning society's goals, the goals that you mimic from society, the better you can get at fulfilling them. Meaning, uh, the more you know about the truth of your own self deeply, and the more you forfeit these original surface level goals that are given to you, the better you can get at reaching the goals, not these first level ones, but the real ones that you feel that are in deeper connection to yourself. And that's a paradoxical thing, right? Forfeit something in order to actually gain something of a deeper importance. Would you say that that's some, in some ways the case? Um, for example, Kandel, like in the beginning, you were, you were saying, you were speaking about, you know, it's not what the next step is. It's, it's about the step before. And I'm 100% agree, in agreeing, agreeing with that. Uh, the, I think this is really the, the, the positivity of negativity, isn't it? And so it's not so much about... What are, the, what are the steps that I'm going to do in order to reach something? But how by forfeiting that and going into myself, there's something positive that comes from that. There's something weirdly positive that comes from that. And that's kind of what I'm getting towards. Yeah. I mean, we can use sort of like the example of, of what, what Owen just said in terms of like discovering history inside of himself is like, you know, by, by going into the psyche um, instead of setting goals is, is like, you just sort of, discover what it is that your the historical moment of your being is is really grappling with or wrestling with so like owen said that you know he's he's struggling with you know the breakdown of the family and what does love in the family look like in the 21st century it's not necessarily that we have a have a have a goal that we know what the family will look like in the 21st century but we sort of know what the raw at least for owen in that context we know what the raw sort of emotion is we know what the raw emotion sort of already pointing towards in a sense and just by sort of exploring that you know um we're at least in touch with the truth and and in my experience it's more about the truth than the goal setting and if you're in touch with the truth as opposed to the goal setting um that goals will start to be achieved that you didn't even necessarily set yeah like goals, like goals that you didn't even like things, things will like not in like a mat, like, I mean, maybe in a mat, I don't know if it's in a magical way, but it's like things like it's, it's more that things in your reality will fall into place in a way that transcends your individual reason. Like, let me, let me like put it like that. Like just by virtue of you, if you are authentically paying attention and observing your truth and wrestling with yourself, things will start to fall into place in a way that you couldn't have dictated with your individual reason. I'll say it like that. Yeah, that, that's a brilliant way to put it. Let me just add uh, sort of an extra bit. 
sort of in, in the manner of addition. The other day I was talking to my friend about music and he's a musician, a jazz genius, and he was telling me that um, in music, music is like applied math that we intuitively grasp. So if you look at a harmony and how, how it's, you know, you have how you have the division of the frequency into these 12 tones, which is a social convention, but nonetheless, you can, she was telling me how, you know, through the building of these, of, of a series of complex assemblages of, of notes and harmonies and melodies and all of that, how in actuality you were actually looking at mathematical patterns of a great precision, of a great beauty, of a great, uh, of, of, of some sense of, you know, in some sense, very true. But our means to get there was musical and intuitive rather than rational and, and via calculation. And so what I want to point towards is that perhaps by listening to our own truth, we're also intuitively setting in motion uh, uh, an attitude, uh, a way of being in the world that it makes perfect sense that it will unfold. Uh, it will make magical things happen. And by no means, I mean magical in the real sense. You, you guys get me. But uh, yeah, being truth to, true to yourself kind of does play a certain harmony of, of the world. It, it creates a certain way of relating to the world that is proper rather than improper. Yeah, and it's like you get you get rid of what well, I guess what what we're saying in a simple way is you're getting rid of the a priori goal structure which is used to make predictive calculations and you're replacing that with a present awareness of what's going on right now inside yourself and outside yourself and by being in touch with that things start to happen around you that you couldn't have predicted or calculated. But there's still things that are in line with your truth. And sometimes they're even better than you could have predicted yourself. They're better than the things you could have thought of yourself. I mean, I, I've often thought of, like, there are a lot of things that have happened to me since I finished my PhD, which I could not have predicted at all. And that, and, and, and that are really remarkable. And they're just as a function of me letting go in some sense. And, and at the same time, yeah, just caring about my truth. Mm -hmm. So fight, fight Club is the opposite of a safe space. What exercises do you guys plan on doing that also explore, in a way, negativity head on? Because I know you must have something something like that prepared like not not the specific exercises but like you know what are perhaps when you're when you're hosting these sessions with people um how will you oh when you said in the in the in the in the beginning that you had a men's group that because it wasn't safe it kind of dismantled like fell apart how is this one going to be different It's a good question. And perhaps the first thing that I have to say, which is almost a bit of a cop-out, is that because of the nature of the digital medium, like it's not going to be a fight club. Yeah, not physically. Like I, I think a lot of the intention is with prompts, questions that are designed to 
open up sharing in a certain way. Exactly. So be as honest as you can with a partner for three minutes about your deepest sexual fantasies, for example. Something like that. Yeah. And indeed, the, the questioning does make sense. And, and I mean, yeah, this we are limited by the digital medium. If we were going to go into a physical space, we could explore more with physicality, with with expressions of emotion like we kind of saw at the European men's gathering. Yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. that's kind of a direction I think is is fruitful because ultimately what we are doing, it still remains at quite a, a cognitive level at the level of speech and speaking the unconscious, but not necessarily screaming it or thrusting it or doing any of the things that can be done with the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to think about it is that there is going to be a dimension of the course, which is like, okay, let's learn about pleasure or let's learn about eroticism from a certain perspective and that. But the the great majority of the course is like creating the container in which individuals feel the space of exploring what is pleasure for them or what is eroticism for them, or what is love to them, or what is melancholy to them. So it's it's kind of opening up that space and sort of being able to sort of see how that dimension of the self is reflected by others and also how that dimension is is reflected in the self. And and a lot of a lot of guys probably haven't had that space to sort of like really go into what it, you know what well, what is melancholy and how do I relate to melancholy? Yeah. So like, that's really like the dimension where Owen's saying in regards to the difference from therapy is like, it's a guided space. There is a structure to the space. It has a logic to it. And the higher order logic to the space is basically going from learning about yourself as created namely that you didn't create yourself you were created by forces larger than you we can say evolution we can say god it doesn't matter just that you were created by something that's not you what is the nature of that creation so we go into the basic sort of origin of the self as a fetus as an infant as a child going into the emotions and the memories of that development and the logic of the course basically goes all the way to yourself as a creative being. Mm -hmm. So from you as created to you as a creative being, but the logic is that you can't really create unless you understand yourself as creation. So like that's sort of the higher order structure and, and just being in touch with all of the dimensions that make you, you. Well, I was, as I was driving today, um, I was thinking that, a personal point right now. I was thinking that so much of me is about, and you know me, creation, and I want to do stuff and chase and explore. Um, but that is a negation of something that exists there before. So it cannot exist. It doesn't exist in a void on its own. No, it's a negation of, of what I don't want to be, something that existed before that produces a series of emotions. And so would you say that? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm kind of reiterating your point, but, but that the way we emerge as a creative being is by negating something 
that we hated about, hated or felt melancholic or felt whatever about before. So there's always sort of this dyadic structure uh, that I feel is, is, is something very important that you guys are exploring. It's like, yeah, again, it, it's, again, it's the, it's the, it's the step before the space before, which is just sort of saying, you know, I always like the notion, like slow, slow down. So the truth can catch up and mm-hmm. then create like, and slowing down. So the truth can catch up is sort of learning about yourself as creation. And if you slow down for the truth can catch up, then your creation is going to be that much more true. It's going to be that much more real. Yeah. I've got some like funny examples of maybe this slow down so the truth can catch up. So for example, I always loved playing music when I was a kid and as a teenager and, and Cadell knows this example. I've told this before, but by the time I was about 16, I was like, I really wanted to be Metallica or I wanted to be an artist on the level of Metallica to the extent that I suffered immensely whenever I came across <laughs> musicians who seemed to be better than me or musicians who were actually making it. And this desire to be Metallica or to be an artist of the level of Metallica was a kind of desire to negate where I thought I was right there. I was like, I like playing music, but I need to get beyond this so that I can then be this person who I I see Metallica as representing the person who can play music. And after a long process of of exploring and bouncing (laughs) around, I'm now at a point where actually I do play music quite a lot and I don't really have this desire to be Metallica anymore. I kind of like, I'm, I'm in my mid twenties. I have a music project that I feel is a great musical outlet to me. In some sense, I've kind of become what it would mean for me to be Metallica at 26. And that image isn't kind of there. Like it's not, there's no longer that sense of trying to negate anything so much of just kind of being with what that drive was anyway. That drive was, I like to play guitar. And then there was a fear of, I need to create circumstances so that I will be able to play guitar. Mm-hmm. And through that struggle of trying to create the circumstances, I've kind of let go of that trying to create circumstances. And now I'm in a position where, oh, hey, I play guitar. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then there's, it kind of works similarly, like, for example, with the startup that I spoke about, I think behind the desire to be in that startup and building that, there was a true desire, which is the desire to be building something. But I had to step away and leave that whole thing and put myself in this kind of space of emptiness where I was like working in a bar with no idea what the fuck I was going to do. And then I had the idea, okay, maybe I'll start a podcast. And then two years down the line, two and a half years down the line, here we are with building something. And it's like, there was always that drive there trying to do the thing anyway. There's just an element of almost getting out the way of it. This this brings up the following question. The word retirement is used when someone has finished, you know, in the previous era, you finish working, you retire, you're done, you go and enjoy life. Um, but in a deeper sense, it's also something very vicious and something very that you see, I see uh, very commonly in society that people just want to get to this point and then you're done. Just want to get this house, get this, get this, get this family, get this car, and then you're done. And then you can chill. And then I just work and wait to die. And so you see all these kinds of people who are very young, but already retired 
But you also see other examples. I'm thinking of you know, a president of a football club of Portugal. He's like 90, but he's still going strong. Uh, but he's the example of a guy that if he drops his job, he'll die. Like, like his life is his job. So in terms of pursuing and being true to your desire and keeping chasing on to the next one, you reach this point on to the next one, you reach this point on to the next one. What do you have to say about this, this idea of retirement versus the continual chase of the next thing? So I, can, I, can, I can say something here because I've met so many people who like went into careers where they had this logic of, I want to retire as quickly as possible because actually I hate what I'm doing. And I always had a different logic than that. And so like, but like the logic I see in that behavior of, I want to retire as quickly as possible so that I can be done is basically that you don't think it's possible to unify your real desire and your real truth with practical with the practical dimensions of life. So you split yourself in order to do that. And then there's this idea that of like wanting to retire and then be done and chill is basically to like that your entire movement is false because you're, you're only going to be able to, to be in your truth when you can stop moving. So that again, both of those things are connected to this idea to slow down so the truth can catch up so that your actual movement can be true. You have, to, you have to learn how to be still in order so that your movement can be true. And like what I say now a lot about what I think enlightened people have the capacity to do is an enlightened person moves, but they don't have to move. And there's a big difference. Like, like a lot of people I see they're constantly moving, constantly listening to music or watching shows or doing something because they can't sit still and do nothing. So it's, it's, it's kind of like you have to find the still point inside yourself first and then you can have a true movement. And that movement can be a genuine creativity, which is also in line with practicality and it never ends. I don't know if you want to add to that, Owen. I mean, only that the, I like this notion of finding that still point. It's because you're already there. This is the thing is that here's what I think. Here's how I think it works on a, like a deep metaphysical level. So when you have this sort of large goal structure outside of yourself, basically that's you put, and it could be, it could be like, for example, I had the, the dream to do a PhD or it could be retirement. It could be some, but it's a large goal structure outside of yourself at a distance. Basically, when you're in that state of mind, I think you're putting the still point outside of yourself because that goal structure, that goal never changes. It's just a still point outside of you. But the point is, is to have that still point inside of you. And the logic is, is that you're already the goal. In other words, you already are the thing. So you have to be the still point inside you, which is taking that big metaphysical transcendental goal structure, putting it inside of you. And that requires a lot of 
going through darkness, basically, which means shedding of images, which are silly and false. And then you can sort of just be with yourself as you are. You're already the thing. And that sort of allows you the sort of creative capacity that Owen was talking about in his example of the difference between how he plays guitar today versus when he was thinking about becoming Metallica. Like the dream of becoming Metallica is the big goal structure outside of yourself, but actually playing guitar and just I'm in the moment playing guitar is the thing. And sort of being, being with that, 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 that process. And that's ultimately the thing that is seen in the figure of Metallica anyway. It's Metallica are the people who are in the thing. The, the goal structure is pointing towards something real. It's just an image that's outside of you and you think you're not there. There, it, 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 there's something, there's something important to it, but it's just that it, it ends up like in the most extreme version of it, which I think a lot of people in our society are in. You end up never being with yourself, and then you die. So, so, like people like sort of have a realization at the end of their life, like, oh shit, like I spent my entire life not doing what I really wanted to do and not being really aware of what I am. Like that sort of happened, that happens to so many people, but like, I'll give the example of my dad who is a pretty good example of that because again, he was doing a job where I think the job ended up owning him. And before he had a chance to retire, uh, he got terminal cancer. So like literally like he had this dream of like, I'm going to get to retire and then I'm going to be able to do what I want. Like I'm going to go play golf or I'm going to go hiking or I'm going to do like what I really want to do. But he died before getting there. So I think a lot of people that happens to them is that their life passes them by, um, you know, simply because the, the, the fixed point, the still point that should have been inside of them was outside of them the whole time. Yeah. And that's why I have the, that's why I have the motto on my, my email, die again, die better. It's really like what it is. It's a metaphor for image death inside yourself. It's like a metaphorical death, die again, die better. There is a telos there, which is that shed yourself until you're really there. What I mean is shed those false images that have you have your ideal state somewhere other than where you are right now. And like, is, there, yep. is there a really there or is there just a continual shedding and a continual coming back to yourself and kind of like you shed? Uh, but so is this really there a static state or a practice? Yeah, you, you, it, it, there is a para, there is a paradox with the still point. So like there is a, because the, the still point is not just a still point, just a still point, meaning there's still movement. So it's a paradox. But what moves is a true motion. Yeah, it's a truer motion. And, but there is still, here's the thing. There is still this um, alienation and overcoming alienation. But the difference is, and this is like, this is the best way I've been able to frame it anyway, is you become at home in the alien. So you're still alienated, but you're at home in the alien. So what that means is, is that 
you're at home in movement. You're at home in becoming different because you're still going to be coming different. You're, you're still creating. So by definition, you're going to be coming different. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just uh, the same. But there's like a spontaneous overflowing of being rather than a being that's like, okay, I need to get here. Yeah, it's so silly, this fixed point, because like I had the experience of it. So I had the transcendental goals and anyone who gets to this fixed point, I think has a similar experience. Like, like the person who set up their entire life to retire. I just, I just met a few people last summer who had that goal structure. And when they were retired, they're just bored. They don't know what to do with themselves. And so like, but when I had it with the PhD, like as soon as I got the PhD, I was like, well, what do I do with myself now? So whenever you set up this big goal structure outside of yourself, as soon as you get there, you just have the problem of what you're going to do and you're not with yourself. So there's a way in which when this is internalized, you just have a constant flow. You're constantly changing, but you're always there. It's like there's a mythical imperative for subjects to, that's that's how I would frame it, for subjects to be continually uh getting you know struggling with what they're not saying what 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 they are not shedding images practicing the self-denial or rather this denial of things that aren't really you but you are sort of this this continual like what am i not what do i don't like what do i and and in that process you create this motion that is of a, of a very light uh, quality of a very truer quality. I feel. I do feel like there's the capacity, like, um, to like have a lighter quality, but like, you're still like taking things in some, like in a weird way, like, I mean, things still matter and have weight and like, you're really engaged with things and so forth, but there's a way in which like, um, I think when people are very aggressive, or like when people really want to like rush their speech or like really like, you know, like speak really quickly and, 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 and say everything. Uh-huh. It's like, it's like, cause they're trying to get there. <laughs> you know, like they're not there. Like they're trying to get, get there. Like, especially that aggressivity, mm. you know, like, like they, like, and this like translates into deep bodily being because I think this like impacts also how how you have sex. Like if we could translate the same logic to how you have sex. Like if you're having sex in such a way as that you're always trying to get there, like get to the orgasmic thing versus sort of being in the whole process <laughs> and, and and letting it unfold. There's that funny thing. Is that bit where Lacan was saying, like, I'm fucking you now? Yeah, I'm already having sex. Every, every, every moment is sex. Yeah, yeah. I'm having sex right now. I'm in you right now, baby. <laughs> There's no <laughs> that isn't sex. It's like every moment is the foreplay because you're not trying to become a particular thing for the other. You just are what you are and they are what they are. And then, and I mean, I think from what I've kind of come to understand from hanging out with tantric people they're like if you can reach this kind of 
fluid state of kind of <laughs> fucking all the time, then you can play with the images. Then you can play around with being, I'm going to be this for the other. Or like, I'm going to adopt this goal and try and be this. But you can do it with a kind of higher order skill. It's like, rather than I'm going to unconsciously try and be something so as to answer some unresolved question of my being. It's like, no, I know my being is an unresolved question. So I'm going to play at being a dominator or a submissive or a trickster or at anything else precisely to open up new possibilities in the situation. And it so it creates a very playful way of being. Yeah. I just want to like, just go deeper into what Owen's saying here, because it is kind of like that, like we're investigating and this is our first time trying to run this course, but I think ultimately what we're trying to run is getting people to a tantric state of being. That's what we called an artful state of being. But I mean, I think they're similar and, and what this state of being is, is um, a, a space that can play with images in a, in a higher order way. So like if we, if we go re- reverse this tape back to how we started the conversation, I said that I came to men's work from accepting lack and deconstructing images basically of power. So that step is necessary to, I think, become the type of being that can um, have a more conscious engagement with images um, and and can sort of, um, basically there's a perspectival shift on the image. And, and, and as a result, like life becomes a lot more imaginary and playful, but in a, in a way that's actually in touch with the present moment of what you are present moment being key right because one of the things like i agree 100 with what you're saying and one of the things that comes to mind is that i do recognize in myself these states where it's fine to be alien in an alien world to be here and not know what's going on but in that very state there's also such a powerful uh feeling like and pe- people people know this and people like to be around you because when you're doing this because it's oh it's it's it is as if you are an anchor in the world of meaninglessness and of constant chasing towards um so it's not like this is a state that one reaches but it's a state that one already is but there's a there's a certain level of how sh- how should i frame it of being comfortable with the incompleteness of it all and and really being like in it and in a, you know, enjoying the beauty of, of its incompleteness. And at least that's my experience of, of something that may equate in a way could be parallel to what you're saying. Like a lot of people have this experience when they're, when they drink, right? Like, like the difference between people when they're sober versus people when they drink, usually people loosen up, people lighten up. People are usually, more like in a flow with themselves they can be more at home with themselves they can be more comfortable with themselves right like it's 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 i think a lot of the reasons why people do drugs various drugs is because there's a gap between themselves and this state but but precisely the gap is the thing right it's not like we need to be in that state all the time but to be okay with the fact that yes i fluctuate and that's fine i i accept that uh, and, and to look at these splits that we have in our everyday lives and where I want to be and where I'm not, precisely the ability and, and to have that breadth and scope of being to, to encompass this, that is the cool thing here for me. 
Yes. I think the coolest thing is to be able to like basically be the gap itself or to be the split itself, meaning you don't need anything to fill it to make you that thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is basically what people are doing before they're in that state is like they like basically they're using a fancy car or they're using a certain type of clothes or they're using a type of job title or they're using a type of drug to make them that thing. Yeah. But you can also use all of these things in the skillful, playful way. Yeah, yeah. Like, so like, there's a great uh, passage of Chogyam Trumpa, the Tibetan tantric Buddhist teacher, where he's like writing about drinking as a practice. And he's like, well, it's great because basically it lowers your inhibitions. It shows you parts of yourself that perhaps you wouldn't express otherwise. It shows you if you drink enough, it shows you your neuroses quite strongly. People break down or they get really angry, blah, blah, blah. And then the next day you have to deal with a hangover and dealing with a hangover cuts through all of the bullshit in your head and the things that you think you are, because you just have to deal with the fact that you feel miserable and sick and have a headache. It's like, so the whole process is a great teacher if you can view it in that way. And I think in the same way, like you could take anything that we've been talking about, say chasing some dream of having a job. If you're in there with the mentality of like, well, isn't this a funny situation that I'm in? And look what happens to me when I'm here. And look how I interact with my boss. And look how I interact with my subordinates. And look what this work is. And isn't this teaching me? It's like, okay, there's, there's, and that's why I think, I mean, Trumper and other tantric people are the same. There's an element of just developing a sense of humor is one of the core things in becoming more tantric or becoming more artful. It's like, everything is just a bit ridiculous. Everything is just a bit, everything is just a bit funny. Like here we are all embedded in these games and these language networks, this, in these, these mesh of signifiers. And maybe we can step out for it for a moment or go into deep meditation, but then we inevitably come back and we have to be in it. There's no escape from it. All there is, is seeing it for what it is and then dancing in it. As opposed to being like, okay, there's this net of signifiers. So I need to find the signifier that is me and then establish that and get everybody else to recognize that that signifier is me. Cause you're none of them. Just have a few that come by in every given moment. Uh, but, but, you- but I think also now I'm just kind of wondering, kind of thinking about the ideas around process and event that Bard and you work with Cadell. there's, we can recognize that it's possible to become a thing for a moment, to like create event, to become a signifier in a moment in history. And there's something fun about doing that. There's also some, often something very meaningful about doing that. So there is a real phenomenon in kind of becoming a thing in a moment rather than just being in fluidity. But then the desire to just become the event and to stabilize one's identity as the event for all time kind of becomes a trap i think i would even say that there's a counterintuitive thing there right whereby those who become events from a external perspective have had to become empty first in order to be possessed by the signifier in the eyes of the other because in their own eyes they're just being true to whatever they are at that moment um have you ever been admired by a younger kid who loves how you play guitar and for you, it's just, well, this is just me. But in his eyes, holy shit, you are the man. So I feel like there's a similar relationship there. Except with different, at a different scale. What do you say, Cadell? Yeah, I mean, I think 
it's it's hard to it's hard to language this. Um, yeah, it's hard it's hard to put it in precise language, but I, but I I I do I do think it's like the idea of becoming the thing can be a trap. I guess I was relating to that with with the with the language of the the still point outside of yourself. And like that, that has to be, that has to be brought into yourself. And then that, but like, that doesn't, that doesn't stop, that doesn't stop change that you, you're, and it doesn't mean like you're happy all the time either necessarily, or that you're, you're one with you or like you're, you're just in a good mood all the time necessarily. Um, but you just sort of, I think that there's a greater depth of your being so that you, you can hold more states. You can hold more emotional states that I guess other people have defenses or resistances against. Yeah. And I guess that brings me to like the idea that one of the preconditions for like getting a lot of use out of this course and like, you know, outside of the context of this course one of the preconditions for deep self-work is the ability to fight against your own internal resistances and your own internal defenses, because it's your own internal resistances and defenses that are preventing you from becoming the type of being that can hold a lot more emotional energy, let's say. Hmm. Yeah. And I do think that there's a, there's a difference between like, someone who's like, for example, drinking to feel a certain way versus like a guy like Trungpa who's like drinking in like this, you know, uh, tantric way. Like, I think there is, there is a difference. Like, I think a guy like a guy who's been in the tantric space, it's, it's again, it, it's kind of like the difference between like the image before tantra and the image after tantra. It's like, there's a change in the quality of their being that allows them to sort of play with that energy in a, in a radically different way. It's kind of, it's weird, but like many of the dimensions of the tantric space are like, you can do all of the things that like common people do very impulsively, like sleep around or do certain drugs or, you know, basically like be, you know, impulsive pleasure seeking behavior. But because you've put in the sort of the work, the sutra, the work of renunciation, the work of sort of, you know, diving into the darker aspects of yourself, the emptiness, it's sort of like you can hold that energy in a much more, in a wiser way, let's say. Like the way I kind of think about it, it's in terms of the sutra is ultimately a practice for decentering yourself. And so the drinking or the sex is no longer about me trying to get wasted or me trying to get off, but rather like, how can I potentially with other beings have a really funny time by getting drunk or by serving another being by fucking them really well. And part yeah, of fucking yeah. them really well means actually getting myself off as well. But there's always yeah, this yeah. kind of conversation with the other. It's not just driven by a kind of narcissistic desire for pleasure. The pleasure is always subordinated to something higher. And that's, what, again, where art comes in, right? Like art is 
beautiful but it's not just decoration it's not just entertainment i think there's a qualitative difference between art and both of those things uh, and kind of we don't exactly have precise language to, to describe it it's that thing that is beyond words it's that beauty it's that kind of mutual mute meeting between different subjects that in some sense takes the breath away a little bit and that can happen in tantric space with drugs with alcohol with drinking with kind of anything Mm -hmm. so i think the, the, the one of the important points i think for me that that owen made was this this um the difference between the pre-tantric and the tantric space having to do with this decentering because i i think like the impulsive behaviors in the pre-tantric state are about meeting infantile needs that have you at the center so like for example if we think about the beginning of all of our existence i mean and if you just watch children's behavior uh, they have to be at the center of the universe uh, they have to be the center of attention and so that behavior extends itself in things like drugs and in things like sexuality and in just impulsive pleasure seeking in general where you want to feel like the center of the universe and so the sutra and the renunciation is to decenter yourself so that you can once again enjoy those pleasurable things, but in a totally different way, in a, in a decentered way. Yeah, like you might look at it, there's like a first order basic material, I want to fuck. And then you go through this kind of sutra renunciation thing of like, let me be free of this desire or renounce the desire to fuck. And then maybe, maybe there isn't really much of an I, but there's still this desire to fuck. And so then you get into this questioning of like, what is this I that says it wants to fuck? <laughs> there's clearly a something trying to fuck, but it's not really me because I don't really know what a me is, but there is a thing. Uh, th this is remarkable. A thing. Uh, it, 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 it's, um, there's an alien quality to it. There's, um, there's, a, it moves of its own accord. We are, the, our relationship to it is not one of, I am it, because you are not it. Yeah, th this is about getting in touch with a movement, which is kind of like an like a like an epersi moave or like a, a movement that's like not really you like you are in some sense doing less. Like you don't have like the, the weird thing, the weird thing I, I feel in like the difference inside myself after reflecting on some of these things is like I can slow down more like I don't have to do as much. There's kind of like a movement which happens on its own accord oh. and i merely need to be aware ab about it and be in a flow with it and be in touch with it be in service to it but it, it's kind of like a movement which is yeah it's it's yeah i mean there's a lot of cliche things i could say like it's not the movement of my ego or something like that yeah it's not you to put it in this really simple way that i that, that i it's like it's um it's the other yeah 
Yeah, we can get really we can get really really deep here, like because it's it's because on some level it's like the whole of classical philosophy is about the one. Mm-hmm. In some in some sense, like whether we go to Parmenides, whether we go to Plato, even in some sense Hegel, but it's more complicated. But in classical philosophy, there is this idea of the one, and the one reappears in many different forms. It's a, it reappears in Aquinas or Eckhart or, you know, many different forms. But this is kind of about the other, and the otherness, the otherness is something that appears in psychoanalysis, um, and and probably is also this relationship between tantra and like this non-theistic sort of divinity non-theistic divinity and 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 this other is in many ways that which wants to fuck it is in many in many ways perhaps something that we can hear yeah the craftsman tradition of being able to play it by ear and work with the materials and play with the music like the whole thing happening is kind of not you yeah so like if the way i could relate to it the most like in the tradition i'm most familiar with is like freud starts to think about it as like the difference between the libidinal drive or the libidinal force and the ego like that there's a divide and like that's why people go to psychoanalysis is because their ego is struggling with this thing that's moving inside of them which is kind of like immortal and so like like basically what this is 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 becoming more in line with the immortal thing. To learn your which is not something out of this world. It's not something different from this world. It's the energy, it's like it's the flow or the movement of this world. I mean, the image of Baphomet is comes to mind as sort of a the secret that the Templars knew is that they worshiped precisely and somehow they got in touch with this without Hegel. So I don't know how they did it, but they, uh, it's like, this is what the image represents. It's a fucking goat, the animal of mortality with the weird eyes and with a penis and it's hermaphroditic and it's all this, the union of opposites. Um, yet it is here in, in this weird way. And that's, it's quite interesting. And then, you know, the way that I relate to it is perhaps as I haven't thought about that in, in, in the sexual sense, because within the sexual sense, there's it, it certainly clearly takes over. So there's not one or the other that that you can. I mean, there is, but perhaps it, it's most apparent when with craftsmanship or with art or with music, where there is a one, there's an ego trying to do something. And then there's the other, which is being related to. And the craftsman kind of like plays it by ear if they're good, right? A really good craftsman, really good artist says that the art does itself. You never do it. Uh, that's what they all say in common. And there's this relationship to the it that is apparently also present with fucking because it's, so it's not you fucking this other person. Rather, it's the it's fucking through both of you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think in one of those really great fucks, there is an element of just you and the partner kind of becoming a thing that transcends the the separate nature of it. It might be in a moment. It might be for a series of moments. It might be for multiple minutes. And there's a kind of coming in and out of that moment. 
but there are these moments of kind of total surrender and total empowerment at the same time. And that's exactly what the kind of the moment of artistic inspiration is certainly as I experience it. It's like when my fingers are on the guitar and I'm just playing stuff and it sounds great. And I don't know where the fuck it's coming from, but it's just there. It's like falling out of me in some sense. That's like overflowing. That's the word I used earlier. And I think to go back to kind of the art of being a man, the hope is to be slowly building a practice where we experience more of our being as spontaneously falling out of ourselves, yeah. whatever it is and not having like, so, okay, maybe a common situation people might find themselves in is like, Oh, I feel depressed today. That's annoying. I'd be able to do my work better if I was less depressed. I mean, to be honest, that's how I felt the last week. I was like, fuck, I'm feeling depressed and miserable about moving house. I wish I didn't feel so down because then it, my life would be easier. Whereas the shift is to go more towards a state of like, okay, well, this is happening. There's a kind of depression falling out of me as I'm trying to do stuff. I guess that's what's happening. And to not have that kind of split between what's happening and what is desired to be happening. And, and, and again, you, the way you framed it is, I, I think, correct, because something is happening, there, but, but it's outside of this sort of self-container. It's not, it's not me that is depressed in a way. Uh, there, there is an overlap at the place of what we usually call I between this thing happening, this excess, this overflow, whatever shit, you know, whatever color it is, uh, the affect and then what you are doing but like there's this ability to understand to give that perspective um and to step aside and to submit to it and to relate to it skillfully i feel is artful yeah and there's a wisdom in the depression it's the grieving of moving away from a place i've lived for many years it's the experience of kind of pulling the rug out under the feet and experiencing a kind of aloneness perhaps. And this question, this success can take up many colors, many shapes, many forms, right? It can be a feeling of depression. It could be a feeling of, um, it could be anything, couldn't it? And therefore to, to relate well to that other that is also within us, um, there's only there's not there's many ways to do this. It's not like that means that we're all going to be looking like this is my uh, this is me saying and, and a supposition that I'm exploring. It to relate well to one's uh, to the other within doesn't mean that we will look like we have perfect being and we're all calm and we're all beautiful and, and chill. Rather, it can mean that you're just all the more free to pursue its own excesses and craziness without necessarily identifying with it. So, you know, that could mean if, if you have a good relationship to it, if you're artful and be a man, being a man, that doesn't mean that you're going to be really calm and harmonious and shit. No, that could mean that you also are a great, you chase things and you run after things and you enjoy things and you love things. Absolutely. Uh, right? It just doesn't mean that it doesn't take over you and, fu and fuck you up and then like crumble on top of you. It's a golem. It's a golem from the tradition of the, of the Jewish mysticism, right? Yeah, I'm just thinking like of what the best model is that I've seen of 
what this sort of enlightenment, so to speak, is looks like is like it's we 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 don't so you know in some sense we have two silly images of of enlightenment in my view. On the one hand, you have the the like let's say that the two main ones are like on the one hand you have the Buddha and the other hand you have Jesus. And like and both of those are like unsatisfying images for me ultimately because like one you have the image of a guy sitting and like very still and i think that he represents this still point inside oneself i've been referencing but at the same time there's a movement that keeps going so what is that movement well i think the jesus signifier tries to capture it in some sense because it's like this he's on this cross of death and like so like in other words it's like this and you also have the resurrection but you know the the thing that i always was disappointed with with jesus was that he you know he died at 33 it's like well i'm 35 so like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like it's like it doesn't doesn't help me help me too much but i i want to give like a, a weird example um which is actually an example from a, a movie called harold and maud um i don't know if either of you guys have seen that but maud is an older woman um, who basically is, is just this constant energy. She's just, she, she's doing a whole bunch of weird things. Um, she is gardening. She is interested in fashion. She is, you know, going on weird adventures. She's loving. She's, you know, she, she's just, life itself, like almost like a possessed form of life. And also she um, fully accepts death. So like when death comes for her, she just goes into it effortlessly um, and almost in a sacrificial way. So, I mean, it's kind of like that, I think, is is like you just have this this energy and this zest for life and you just are constantly interested and curious and, 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 and moving because there's something inside you that's moving you. Perhaps by identifying with the gap, you don't put all your energy on the counterweights of the ego and its identification with the other. And you kind of let the other run its own course and you are positioned, you have a good relationship to facilitate that. And the yeah. Others- it, it's kind of it's kind of like a movement that's constantly it's constantly attracted and it's constantly letting go of what it was attracted to like i think that the movement like what stops the being attracted is that it, the ego can't let go of what it used to be attracted to it's like it, the ego like holds on to it and then freezes it and then it can't move anymore Hmm. So like I, I could give I can give the the example from the movie Harold and Maud, which is Harold gives Maud a, a letter that says Harold uh, loves Maud, and then Maud looks at the letter, and then she says to Harold, "Maud loves Harold too," and then she scrumples up the letter and throws it away, and then Harold is just like traumatized, like the. You threw away the letter I gave, I just gave you. And she was like, yeah, but I read it. I fully absorbed it. Now it's gone. 
So there's this way in which she just is constantly filled with life and constantly letting go of it at the same time. There's also a joyful, almost, almost uh, trickster energy. You know that guy from Lord of the Rings, the guy who lived in the forest, the, 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 like from the same order of mages as Gandalf, this green. What, Golem? The Radagast? Well, Radagast, yeah. Just Radagast. He's not good. He's not evil. Like Gandalf goes over. He's nice. But it's like, can you join my my fight? Fuck no. No, he doesn't join any sides. And there's a certain, like, you don't know at what point he might sting you. And he might because he's capable and shit. But he's also, there's a certain level of, it's like a satire from the forest, from the ancient myths. It's like, it's this thing. It does its own thing. You don't really know. And that's, I think, that that not really knowing is the right state the right position to be in relation to it it's the gap it's like yeah you don't know you don't all 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 i all i know i don't know the, the i mean that sounds like that sounds like spot on but a good the the best counter example is 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 golem like because golem is golem is the opposite of the thing like he's trying to hold on to the one burns everything up and yeah, that's that. That's the that's the energy that you want to free up from and the ego. It's such a good example because they're kind of two sides of the same thing. Like Gollum is his desire is for the ring, and so yeah. he's totally identified with the desire. Where we're talking about a state of being with desire, but not being identified with desire. So in some sense, like the Radagast example and the Gollum, they're the two sides of the same thing. Yeah. Because Radagast yeah. wouldn't take the ring to Mordor because he wouldn't give a fuck. Whereas it it had to be Golem, or in other words, Smeagol, to take the ring as an expiation journey, as, as a journey of like expiation of his own sins to the lava, and then die with it because he couldn't let go at the last moment. But like Smeagol uh, bringing it over is kind of an act of the chaos. It's kind of a piety thing. I, I don't know. Well, I imagine like a Radagast, like if he's truly the sort of subject we're thinking about, could spend a hundred years in the cave with the ring and then go, okay, bored now and drop it and just walk away and go and yeah. do something else. Potentially. Yeah. Well, that would defeat kind of the conceptual apparatus that is the ring, which is like the object of like, you don't deny them. You're like, if you have it and you play with it, then you're kind of fucked. It's kind of the, it's, it's a ring. It's a thing you stick it inside of. It's like only it, it, in, in, in a weird way, isn't it the perfect object, Petita, but like made made physical, right? It's like the ultimate object of of desire that you cannot let go of. So yeah, really like but I think what we're talking about is letting go of the object, Petita, or at least achieving a distance because you're not going to fully let go of it, but achieving a distance from it. So, Cadella, am I? Right in assuming that the relationship between the ego and the object petita is that the ego is kind of the fucking debris of that desire uh, that identifies fully with that desire. How how, how yeah. should the- like the well, like the I mean, we can use the characters that we've been been discussing is like the 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 structure of the structure of Golem as an ego is that. He's so fully identified with the object Patiya as a, as a positive thing. He's he's reified it in a in a in a positive substance, the ring. So he he can't live without that positive substance. So like for example, 
Um, my uncle had the same relationship with alcohol that he couldn't live without the alcohol bottle. So he would just die with it. Um, I've had other uncles who would have that relationship with their wife, for example, where they turn their wife into that thing. But it's basically the ego will positivize a substance as the object patia. But the object patia in itself is a lacking object. It doesn't have a positive, it doesn't have a positive being. So as soon as you accept that, that's the barred subject. So the algorithm is the barred subject and the object patia. And the barred subject simply accepts the lack of the object patia as the thing. That, but it doesn't mean that the object patia doesn't exist. It means it doesn't, it means it's not a positive thing. So that would mean that for pickup artists, this acceptance of their own barred subjectivity means that, oh, it's not really about getting that girl or that amount of girls. Rather, it's about being, you know, having a different relationship to being itself. When I say, when I say it's not the next step, when I say it's not the next step, it's the step before. Basically, what I'm saying is, is to stop positivizing the object patia. Mm -hmm. But that still means that something's moving, but it's moving in that gap. And you, and you are that gap. That gap allows you to be freer and, yeah. you're, and sort of more comfortable as more sovereign as a being, not submitted to that object patia like Gollum is to the ring. Right? Exactly. Or like, yeah, or like my uncle was to the alcohol bottle or like my other uncle was to, to a wife, his wife. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this, this, this thing can take control of, it, the object patia can take many forms, but what it ultimately is, what the being who positivizes it is doing is concentrating all of their enjoyment in that one thing. Remarkable. And so the ability to enjoy the not being the thing, to enjoy that's the, the thing. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a good pitch for the art of being a man is like, is we're, we're gonna, we're gonna go into, into the lack and ultimately try to guide or cultivate a, a form of being, a different form of being. You can call that artful. You can call that tantric. I think also you can call it getting in touch with something divine in oneself. In my view, you could also call it becoming a real philosopher. That's, that's beautiful. That's a great way to finish it off. Guys, do you have any, I think we're, we're coming close to, to our time now. Is there any sort of last remarks uh, that you'd like to drop? I think that's a great place to wrap. I mean, I guess I can say on the practical side of things. So it's going to be a course that begins on January the 16th, Sunday, January the 16th at, um, Kedel, is it 4 p.m. CET? I believe so. I think so. I'll put the uh, the timings and stuff in the in the comments or the descriptions at any rate. And then the sessions are going to last. Well, there'll be five hours in total, two hours, yeah. an hour. It is, it is four p.m. CET. Four p.m. CET. So that's um, three p.m. Uh, British time, and I'll figure out whatever it is 
American time and put it in there. I think it would be 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in North America. Mm-hmm. And so five-hour sessions, two hours break, then two hours. It's going to run every other Sunday at the same time over a total of nine sessions. So that's an introductory session, seven sessions with different topics that will be in the information, and then a final integration and conclusion session as well. Yeah. And I'd say for, for me, just to add to that is that like when we came up with the, the idea for this course, I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, it's a project that just comes from our own lack. So that, I mean, that, that I think we're just creating what we're creating is also just an example of what we're hoping to share with others, which is that this is, this is coming out of our own wrestling and struggling with lack, our own search for a different mode of being um, and a hope of, of, of further cultivating that and further sharing that with others. Um, I remember when, when we came up with the idea, I was just sort of like in a sort of a <laughs> despair state reading like thus spoke Zarathustra and, uh, and, and, and yeah, we just said, you know, like, let's, let's, let's go for it. Let's start brainstorming it. And it, and it emerged over several months. So, um, yeah, get in touch with either Owen or I, if you're, you're interested in joining us, it should be, should be a lot of fun. Fantastic guys. Looking forward. So, yep. Let's wrap. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Fucking awesome, man. Daniel, thank you for interviewing. My pleasure, as always. All right, boys. On the other side. Bye-bye.